This is Bet MGM tonight. Join us for live sweats. Yes. Let's go, Kansas State. That was a big balls three. Three minutes ago. Big balls three. Instant reaction. This is an unbelievable thing for me to see. My favorite team, my true favorite team. Less mistress, more side piece. And maybe a few regrettable decisions. Oh, he's got bust written all over him. Gutekind sucks. Jordan Addison ran a 5-3-40, and he's Tristis height. I'd take him. You know what you shouldn't have done? Bet on the Wizards. Yep. Now, live from Washington, D.C., it's Ryan Horvat, Trista Crick, and Nick Ashew. Well, before we get too far into things, welcome back. I'm the sports machine, Sean Levine. That's Ryan Horvat freaking out over there. What are you freaking out about? You all right? Vandy plus eight and a half. Vandy might win this game outright. They uh, just hit a corner three to go up 72-69 with about 28 seconds to go. Uh, unfortunately, we got a foul on the other end, but Vandy looking to pull off one of the bigger upsets in the SEC. Your boy called it, then we're on to Kentucky, but we got to get this one home first. Goodness, my guy's flopping around like a fish out there in D.C. I'm in Kansas City, and it's 2024, and let's just be honest, in the digital age, we've got a lot of like Facebook friends that we've never met. Some of us radio guys, we've done a bunch of shows together. We've never actually even shook hands. Our next guest is... Keith Pompey. And Keith, from the Philadelphia Inquirer, of course, I don't know if you remember this, but we've actually met face-to-face. We actually sat down together for a meal about 10 years ago in Lawrence, Kansas. You were covering Temple, and I think we were at 23rd Street Brewery. I got good memory, and I want to say you ordered the Bill's Health, which is macaroni and cheese with chunks of buffalo chicken you remember this yeah i remember that because when you when you were i saw you and i was like that's my there that's my man right there with with your sweatshirt remember i asked you i was like yo how come they didn't do the chant earlier and you was like oh because temple's good (laughs) yeah i remember yeah yeah Yeah, the rock rock chant temple was hanging with them that game but so that that was the pre-mb ku days that was obviously the pre-mb philadelphia days Embiid yeah. obviously now is probably the best player in the world, although often injured. Mm-hmm. If you got your crystal ball in front of you, I know you keep it handy. Do you think it's in the cards? Like, do you think eventually he gets it right? They get the right players around him, and he wins a championship in Philly. Man, it might. It's, it's probably going to be tough. I mean, just because you know, if if I had to bet, I would probably say no. And 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 the reason being is because. You know, Joel is getting a little bit older and we're talking about his injury history. And, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that about time they finally get it together, like if they don't get it together this year or the next year, the window's probably going to close. You, you know what I mean? And, and that's not a knock against Joel. I mean, like you said, when he's when he's healthy, he's the best player in the league. But I, I just feel like they got a lot of work to do with, in regards to getting the right pieces around him. And by that time happens, it might be a little too late. Would you, did you agree with that before the injury? Because, you know, we were kind of on the show making the case for them a little bit in the East. Now Boston looks great, but I mean, we've seen Boston do this the last couple of years where even they were upset by Miami, you know, Milwaukee was struggling to figure some things out defensively. And now we'll talk some doc rivers. I'm sure here in a little bit, Cleveland's playing good basketball, but you just look at the East man and, you know, Tyrese Maxey's playing like a superstar. I really like Tobias Harris. 
And I thought Nick Nurse was the best pickup as far as a, a head coach this offseason. So before the injury, did you think that they were contenders or no? Still kind of the same? I did. I, I did. Be, be, before the injury, um, I, I felt like they were. You know, I, I felt like, um, you know, I know at that particular time they were number three in the East, but I felt like they were above the Milwaukee Bucks when you think of head-to-head and, and the team that would come out of that playoff series. Um you know, right now, a lot of players left, but it was funny because that team, you had Joel and you had a bunch of like blue collar, gritty players. Like you had another Kansas guy and, and Marcus Morris, you know, a tough, tough guy. They got rid of these guys. So now it's kind of sort of like you don't really know what they have. I mean, I know Buddy Hill's a good player. Um, you know, campaign is a, a quality backup. Uh, Kyle Lowry is OK, is, is a good player, Hall of Famer. But at the same time, I, I just feel like right now when we look at this team, everything is totally predicated off of Joel Embiid's health. And if he's not healthy, um, they, could, they could be a play-in team. You know what I mean? So that's the tough part. Talk with my boy Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer here on Bet MGM tonight. What about Tyrese Maxey? Obviously, I don't think he's good enough to carry this team on his own shoulders, but what are we talking about here? Top five point guard in the league, top 15 player. How high are you on him? You know what? I, I do think that Tyrese Maxey can become a all NBA type player. I think that he could be around that third team type of player, you know, right now. Um, I, I think the thing about Maxey, he has such a, a phen- phenomenal season and a lot of it was playing off of Joel Embiid. I think right now he has to learn how to play you know, be the lead guy himself. And that's not a knock against him. It's just that that two-man game was working so well. And then he came out and then, you know, he had, uh, what, 50 points against Utah, 51 points yeah. against Utah, and everybody was like, wow, wow. And then the next game, everybody kept blitzing him, kept blitzing him. And he's played better, you know, um, with a Buddy Heald in the lineup. But at the same time, I feel like he's still trying to get his mix. But the thing about it is it's hard when you have a guy who's an all-star, a guy who's been doing all the things that he's done this year for him to not get all NBA, you know what I mean? 13. So I do feel like he's been explosive enough and he's shown us what he can do that he'll get there. But um, yeah, but he's really reinventing himself all over again on how to play without Joel. You know, really quick, going back to Joel, you brought up kind of like a two-year window to get it done with him. Do you think that there's going to be some added pressure maybe this offseason? I know, you know, there's really not anybody that he could blame because they were playing pretty solid ball and then he had the injury. But it's just, you know, when we started the process, it was Ben Simmons. And, you know, a lot of people still upset over the decision to roll with Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler, especially when we watched Jimmy Butler in the playoffs. Any chance maybe he would look out, look to get out, maybe do a bigger mark, maybe do a market like, you know, New York or – you know, change teams, or do you think he's uh, going to stick with it here for at least the next two years? You know, I, I think that he's going to uh, stick with it, but at the same time, I do think that it, there'll be some conversations and, and, and like, hey, like, what are you guys going to do? And, and then secondly, you know, you got to realize something about Joel and, and the Sixers. It's been, you know, the trade deadline uh, before that free agency period is all these times where they keep saying, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. And then it's quiet and you're just looking at Joel. So I do feel like this summer has something has to happen. And if it doesn't happen this summer, 
then we could see where Joel starts to consider. And then you hear rumors about, hey, Joel wants to go to Miami or Joel wants to go to L.A. or something like that. But I do think that he's going to give them the, the benefit to see what they can do and see if they can work with them. But at the same time, I, I feel like Dowell Morey has to deliver this summer. Right now, Joel Embiid just needs to stay away from the Doc. Speaking of Doc, see what I did there, boys? Uh, Doc Rivers, now the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Keith, he was the head coach of the 76ers for a few years before. Uh, I think he sucks. I'm just going to be frank with you. I cannot believe that <laughs> they thought that was the answer. Like, they thought that was the answer, dude. I don't mind retreads. I get it. That's the NBA. That's the sport. But that's who they went with? Like, there's no way. I think that they could have won a championship before with basically any coach. And then they hired him. And now I'm like, can I take my bet back? Because there ain't no way they win a championship with Doc Rivers, right? Oh, no. Like, the funny thing about Doc, yeah, Doc is easy to, like, you know, you have – you know, you have a lot of people who are extremely – yeah, I mean, he, there's a lot of people critical of Doc. The one thing that I will say about Doc, I'll say this about Doc, Joel Embiid's game elevated under Doc Rivers. Now, the one thing that you can say that Doc needs to work on is his adjustments, especially in the postseason. You know, things like that. He can be a little bit stubborn and, and, and whatnot. Um, the, the thing is, I think with this Milwaukee team – it got off to a bad start. But my thing is, if you just let Dame be Dame and you let Giannis lead and do the things, I feel like, you know, Doc should be fine. He just, you know, just don't get in his own way, so to speak. But, you know, it's funny that you said that because, like, you know, people in Philadelphia feel they they don't like Doc. Put it that way. A lot There's a lot of fans in Philly who don't like him. Huh? <laughs> They're smart. That's why Philly fans know what they're talking about. They might be a little bit boisterous and all those things, but I don't know, Ryan. You tell me, Doc. We're not on Team Doc on this team, are we? Probably. We'll see how it ends in Milwaukee. Probably not in Philly. Yeah. There's probably still some people in Boston. You guys see what I did there? That like Doc. Though, do you still, hey. you know, do you still think? Obviously, the team, the beat in the East, but. You know, like, did the Porzingis move, is that what gets them over the hump? You know, is that the rim protector, the extra score that they need? Uh, is Boston the team for you in the Eastern Conference this year? They are. And, you know, it's Porzingis, but it's bigger than that. I think it really goes down to, like, the two guys that no one really talks about. Um, Drew Holiday, although he's an elite defender, and Derek yeah. White. Like, those two, like – I think they're like now Persingas and, and and the two wings, the uh the Brown and Tatum, they get all the hype, right? But these other two guys, like if you it's funny, like when Derek White was out of the lineup, they were getting smacked by people, right? You know what I mean? When yeah. he was like his wife was having a baby. So I look at those two guys are the ones who are actually the difference makers, if you believe it or not, because they're like low key gritty and they're low key one of the best backcourts in the NBA. So I like Chris Topps, great player, you know, unicorn, whatever you want to call him. Um, the other two guys are all NBA, but I think it's the two unheralded guards who are the ones who put them over the edge, so to speak. Talking some Philly sports here with Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer on the BetQL Network. Well, we got a couple of minutes left, I'm sure – Everybody's talk smack on the Eagles from every single direction. 
Uh, where exactly do you think things went wrong with that team this year? Because outside of the Chiefs and San Francisco heading into the season, they had the third best odds to win the whole thing. And I don't know if anybody told you, Keith, but they didn't. Nah, they didn't. I think they were overhyped, man. Like, you know, the funny thing about <laughs> it is, yeah, they were they were way overhyped. There was like games where he, like, and I'm not an Eagles fan, right? So we could just say that I grew up in Philly, but I'm not an Eagles fan. But so I was like, you know, watching the games with my buddies and like, yo, man, that other team, they had like 15 mistakes and y'all won by a field goal at the end, you know, stuff like that. And and then when it got bad, it got bad. But I also think that, you know, a lot of I think that team chemistry was messed up. You know, you know how it is like you get good and you start reading your clippings, people get paid and then all of a sudden it's just a to- totally different dynamic. And then you start hearing you know, the bickering off the court and things like off the field, rather, and things like that. So that's where it went wrong. But I just never thought they were as good as everyone hyped them up to be this season. Keith, I'm going to take it back to Embiid one more time, only because we're old poker buddies by, like, poker buddies. One time we played at the same table. Like, he barely even acknowledged me. But he was there with me (laughs) until about 2 a.m. Did you win? Uh, Did you win? I won. He actually lost, but he uh, he he won in the long run, though. Uh, you know, he went home with a lot more money than I did in his pocket. But so you know, like last year, the year before that, in the playoffs, you know, they had the playoff collapse. And then if I turn on sports talk radio in Philadelphia, or if I go on Twitter, there's people like trade Embiid, get rid of Embiid. And I'm a Chicago Bulls fan, and like I'll give you guys anything other than the Michael Jordan statue for Joel Embiid right now. <laughs> How is he perceived, like, is is Embiid, because we were talking about Philadelphia, you know, and I was going to ask you kind of about Jalen and the way that he's perceived, because I feel like he is, he kind of like took a beating there at the end, and I'm a big Jalen fan, but what about Joel? Is he loved in Philadelphia? Do the people still love Joel Embiid, even after, you know, the playoff failures, which really aren't his fault? It's weird. Like, I would say more people love him a lot, right? But there, there is a portion of the fan base that's like, yo, you got to get rid of this guy. I mean, there's a portion of the people who are saying, like, hey, Joel Embiid is a great player, but he's often injured. They look at his postseason stats and say that they're lower than the regular season stats, and it shouldn't be that way. So, you know, there are some people, and then you have these traditionalists who look at, been, been, you know, older people who've been talking about if you're a seven-foot center, all you need to do is do post-up moves. And they see him taking people off the dribble, and they're like, oh, what are you doing? But, you know, the, the thing is, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's kind of like, you know, you, you're going to have some people that feel that way. But me personally, you can't trade this guy. You can't get rid of him. No. I mean, it, you know, the thing about it is, like, people forget. Like, people were criticizing him, you know, when he was hurt and he couldn't play against uh, the Joker, Nikola Jokic. But it was only 10 days before that where they were saying he was better than Wilt. We're talking about people in Philly. Right. So it's kind of like what do you, you can't have it both ways. Like one minute he's better than Wilt Chamberlain, and then the next minute he's scared of a guy that he dropped 47 against a couple of days ago. Exactly. So, Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer joining us here on the BetQL Network. You owe me dinner, Keith. Great stuff, man. Fun catching up with you. Coming up next, we get in the octagon. We talk some UFC right here on the BetQL Network.
We're back with BetMGM tonight on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Appreciate Keith Pompey joining us in our last segment. He's always a good time from the Philadelphia Inquirer. That's Ryan Holbott. I'm the sports machine, Sean Levine. I brought my dogs in studio today, and whenever the dogs start barking, I make a bet on an underdog. So what do you think, Ryan? I'm looking at Kings plus four and a half against the Suns, tipping off here in a little while. I don't like the Blazers as an eight and a half point underdog in September, Wolves. No way you could talk me into that one. How about the Pistons? Plus 375 on the money line tonight. Ten and a half point dogs on the road against the Lakers. The Pistons are 8-44. and 44. Can they all go on the road and take down the Lakers tonight? I think those dogs are barking because Vandy not only covers the 8.5 against Texas A&M, but they win that thing outright. 74-73 with the buzzer beater. They were plus 375 on the money line. Now I got Kentucky. They are tied at 9 against Ole Miss. Chris Beard squad, hopefully they get it together. Um, the Pistons, I don't know that I could touch the Pistons. Um, I don't really want to do anything with the Blazers with Minnesota tonight, but I would lean Blazers at eight and a half, actually, as disgusting as that sounds. My only bet I got in this upcoming slate in the NBA is actually a favorite, and I'm going to roll with the Suns. We talked about the Suns, you know, a little bit earlier on at home. I think four and a half, you know, I think that's actually a fair price with Phoenix right now. I like the Sacramento team, but they're on the road in this spot, and uh, I like the Suns, and I actually like Brad Beal. I'm um, seeing his point point prop right now bet mgm has it minus 105 19 and a half i like beal to go off for at least 22 tonight um against the sacramento kings i think he's going to get some easy buckets some easy looks from three from mid-range i should say more of a mid-range jump shooter hopefully he knocks those down so i'm going to go over on beal points i'm going to take the suns and i'm going to take the uh over i'm going to do a little same game parlay as well over at uh, bet mgm my dog's in their cages right now. Let's go into the cage octagon style. UFC 298 coming up on Saturday night. The main event, Alexander Volkanovsky taking on Ilya Taporia. Now, Taporia was a guy who, like a year, year and a half ago, nobody knew his name really. He's really worked his way up the ranks. Then on the other side, you've got Alexander Volkanovsky, who I would say in the last couple of years has gone from a really good fighter to a great fighter to maybe like a top five or six all-time fighter in the UFC. Ryan, he's not that big of a favorite coming up on Saturday night at minus 140. We were just talking about the dogs barking. Do you like Ilya Taporia in the main event at plus 115? So I actually wanted to pick your brain on this because I have no side in this one right here. So I was going to ask you, do you have, like, is this something where you have something? Do you maybe look at the rounds? Do you maybe look at, like, the special props, like, you know, are you looking at decision? Are you looking at submission? Like, how do you think this fight ends? I really have no clue on this fight. That's why I wanted to jump into this last night, man. Like, I I have nothing here. What about you? If you force my hand to pick how I think the yeah. fight's going to finish, I'll take Volkanovski by knockout, dude. I think he understands how important this fight is to him. Think about it. His last couple of times out against Islam, I think he won the first time. The second time, he got his ass knocked out, kicked in the head, actually, if we're calling it what it was. Sometimes guys coming in off a knockout like that are a little bit hesitant. I don't think Volk's yeah. that guy. We actually had him on our show here on the BetQL Network, and like he's not just a good dude. He talked about swimming with the sharks and all that, but he's as mentally tough 
as any human being that's ever walked the face of planet Earth. And for Ilya Taporia, man, this would be a big step up in competition. So as much as I like betting the underdogs, I think I'm going to play Volkanovski at minus 140. And I think he has a good chance of knocking him out, too. I mean, Taporia's been dominant, man. Like, goes up to lightweight, right? I mean, you, you saw, like, what he did against Josh Emmett. My concern here, like, both with both of these guys, right, like, this fight could end so quickly. They both have so much experience. 43 professional fights, I believe, right, in between both of them, man. Um, I just go back to Volk's win over Max Holloway. You know, like, there's just times where I love being on his side. If, like, you force my hand, I think I'd have to play him here. And I'd probably go under on the rounds. But here's here's one where I'm not going to do anything with it. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it. Which fight versus Max Holloway? Volk 1, Volk 2, Volk 3. He got him every single time. All right, Robert Whitaker in the co-main event. He's a heavy favorite, minus 225 versus Paolo Costa. He's the underdog at plus 185. Robert Whitaker is a guy that was a champion. Obviously, he's been at the very top of the game, but hasn't really looked like himself, Ryan, in the last couple of years. Yeah, I know, man. And here's another one where I'm definitely not laying minus 237, right? I mean, we opened up at minus 209, which shows you that Whitaker is actually probably the side, at least that's taking the money here. But I would probably have to go with the dog. But here's my question, right? Do we take the dog right now? Do we even, A, do you even like the matchup? Or do you wait and hope to get at least two to one odds? Because here's one of those fights where, you know, I, I want a big enough edge, you know, if I'm going to do anything with it. And if we can get up to plus 200, plus 250, you see some of these prices really flip day of fight or as, you know, some of the bigger betters get into town. Do you think we get a better number? And would you only take the dog here in this spot or do you just stay away from this one? Maybe take Whitaker and a, a little bit of a uh, parlay. It is a heavy price to pay for a couple of guys that can knock the other dude out. I mean, Whitaker's losses aren't bad ones, if you think about it. Two of his last three losses, Drinkus Duplessis, who's the current champion, Israel Adesanya, who is the champion several times over. So sometimes it's not who you beat, it's who you lost to. We're about to find out if Robert Whitaker is still at the top of his game. Speaking of a question, are they still elite? Henry Cejudo, Triple C, the self-proclaimed best combat athlete of all time, takes on Marab Davalashvili. If you're not too familiar with Marab, if you're not a big UFC fan, weird story here. So his best friend and training partner is Aljamain Sterling. And Aljamain Sterling held the belt for the last about a year and a half. Dana White wanted them to fight each other. And Marab was like, no, I'm not going to fight my best friend. Instead, he opted to have surgery. So he's finally healthy again. And he's taking on Henry Cejudo. I think Marab whoops his ass. I think it's done at one. Yeah, we're going to be on the same side here, man. I mean, for Triple C, I hate to say it, but it's just over. And I would—I never really was a Triple C fan anyway, to be honest with you, man. But here's one where I, I, I wish I would have grabbed the money line open, minus 139. Like, that price was just absolutely insane. And now we're at minus 207. Here's one where I really wouldn't mind laying the chalk, you know, or maybe finding, like, a money line piece with it. I'm with you, though. I think this is over. I think it's over early. I might go uh, with knockout. I might go under on the rounds here or just lay the minus 207. Whatever you think the smartest, safest bet is, you know, for your bankroll. But I'm with you. I couldn't do it with Triple C. Not at this stage of his career. Not after the injuries. I think it's over for him, man. I mean, like, right? 
How, how many more fights do you think he has after this? Do you think it's it, or do you think Zero. he sticks around? Here? I think he probably loses right? and he retires. He probably should have. He probably should have stayed away. So I'm with you guys. Like I never thought he's he's corny, and I was never really into his whole shtick, if you will. But then we brought him on our show here on the BetQL Network, and he was like super personable and funny and fun to talk to, and took his time with me. So I'm. Like on a personal side of it, I wouldn't mind seeing Cejudo win, but yeah, Marab is just Marab's that guy, like definitely a future champion. And then at the end of the, I should say, to open up the uh, main card, uh, UFC 298, Jeff Neal and Ian Machado, Gary. Ian Gary's a big favorite in this one at minus 225. Let's roll on to the next pay per view though, Rye, where we've got Sugar Sean O'Malley. The Sugar Show rolls on down in Miami for UFC 299 in a rematch versus Cheeto Vera. Now, O'Malley likes to tell everybody he's undefeated. The truth is, he's not. He lost to Marlon Vera. And Marlon Vera can beat you in a bunch of different ways. You look at the odds. Right now, O'Malley is more than a 2-1 to favorite. I don't know if I'm willing to pay that money. If Sean, look, Sean has proven that he's everything he said he was, whether it's beating Piotr Jan, whether it's knocking out Aljamain Sterling, anybody that didn't think O'Malley was what he said he is, you can't say that anymore, especially if he goes out there and erases that loss against Cheeto Vera. That's a lot of pressure, man. I think I'm going to play the underdog in Marlon Vera. What say you? So I'm a big, uh, I mean, we're all big Sugar Sean fans. And I mean, of I course. think the biggest Sugar Sean fan, obviously. You know what I'm saying? The same I, I way, think, if you're a big Notre no. Dame fan, if you're a big Texas football fan, if you want to bet Mike Tyson, there's a Sean O'Malley tax. So if you want to pay it, go ahead. I ain't doing it. Right. I was going to say, like, the biggest uh, Sugar Sean fan is obviously Dana, right? I mean, like, that's his moneymaker. He wants him to continue sure. to roll because, like, let's be honest, he's one of the more marketable stars right now. Um, but, you know, and I had a pretty big bet on Sean you know, in the title fight. And I was actually really, really worried once that bell rung, man, you know, I know he wasn't fully healthy and I just, I didn't feel good about it. Now he could obviously catch anybody. That's the scary thing. Like betting against him is scary because the fight could end in literally three, four seconds. But like you said, we shouldn't have to pay the tax a minus two Oh six price. And I mean, this is even, he's taking some money against them opened up minus two Oh nine. I'm with you. It would be dog or pass. I think I'm going to pay the play the dog here and uh, fade Sugar Sean. Hate to say it. So that's the main event at 299. We talked about Volkanovski Tuporia main of 298 coming up on Saturday night in Anaheim, which means we're just like a couple of months away, guys, from UFC 300. The card that Dana White is putting together for us is a good one. Curious though, if they end up putting together at least one more big fight. So right now. Justin Gaethje versus Max Holloway for the BMF belt. Wei Li takes on John, uh, Yan Jiaonan in an all-Chinese matchup. Aljamain Sterling, the aforementioned, versus Calvin Cater. Armand Sarukin versus Charles Oliveira. And then a bunch of other dudes on the card. Bo Nickel, Cody Garbrandt, Davidson Figueredo. I say dudes. The ladies, too. Kayla Harrison, Holly Holm. Do you think, though, that we have a main event yet? Because the last couple of weeks, that was the big tease. Dana was going to tell us that it was going to be Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler, Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz, or John Jones is going to come back. I don't know what's going on right now with the main event. Yeah, man. I mean, I like the main events that we do have. I 
I don't know. I mean, does Connor really do it for you in the main event? To be honest, like it at this stage, depends because on who he fights. depends on who he fights. I, I know if he fights Nate Diaz. I know for the Justin third time, Gaethje. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I know Justin Gaethje. Yes. Again, yeah. I guess it depends who he fights, and Connor's always going to draw a crowd. I don't think that there is a main event. I don't think that Dana has a main event yet, to be honest with you. And I think that's why it hasn't been announced. We'll see, though. I mean, maybe I'm wrong on that one. Also, I mean, I think it's going to be kind of hard to top. And I know that they're getting a little bit older. I know Gaethje's 35 years old. And I know that Holloway is 32 years old. But that co-main event is going to be absolutely electric, man. I mean, Bang. so I just Bang. I don't know. you got to stick Connor with the right guy. Who? What's What's the perfect, what's the dream main event for you? Oh, at this point, it's Nate Diaz re-signing with the UFC, Conor McGregor coming back healthy, and then fighting for a third time. Like, when I'm in a bad mood, I re-watch the Nate Diaz fight versus Conor McGregor, either number one or number two. They were both absolute classics. I don't want it to get to the point, as a fight fan, where it's Pacquiao Mayweather, right? Where we see the fight, and everybody knows, including the combat artists themselves, that this should have happened two or three years before. And we're getting there, right? You know what I mean? Like, if it doesn't happen, UFC 300, and I'm pretty sure this is a pipe dream that I'm talking about right now. It would be amazing if it happens. But if it doesn't happen in the next couple of years, dude, like, then I'm going to lose my interest in it. So that's the biggest one that they could actually make. Our producer, Nate's chiming in saying, I think they bring back Brock Lesnar. I don't know how many people care about that wwe crossover ronda rousey appeal anymore like to me that's old news i know conor mcgregor is also but that's the only thing they can do i here's the thing on that i was gonna say like dream match man i would love to see uh habib so i think he, he i think he's the greatest of all time i love john jones i would just love like a dream match but something that's never going to happen i think it's more realistic that we get conor or I was going to say maybe that we would get like the return of Brock Lesnar. Here's why I don't think that happens, especially now. WWE wants nothing to do with Brock Lesnar because of his involvement in this whole thing, this whole disgusting thing with Vince McMahon. And now WWE and UFC have the merger with Endeavor. With Endeavor. Sorry, my bad. I don't think that they want Brock Lesnar anywhere near their product as well. No matter, like you said, he's not a big enough draw at this point, I don't think. Who's he going to fight? Is he going to want to is he going to pass every drug test? Is he going to agree to all the dope testing as well? And I don't think they want to be anywhere near him, man. Now that they have that merger going on. It's gotten so bad that I saw WWE actually took him out of the video game off of their new intro. They added a new dude LA Knight over Brock Lesnar. So I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, man. You know what the fight they were teasing for a long time, not as the main event at UFC 300, and I haven't heard for anything about it for a while. The old nerd fight, but Mark Zuckerberg versus uh, Elon Musk. I don't know if like that would be enough interest to see those two pencil pushers go out there and fight it out the main event of UFC 300. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Like, I don't know if I'd pay my money for that, especially after Max Holloway and Justin Gaethje go at it. Can you imagine? Max Holloway's never been knocked down. Not knocked out. He's never been knocked down in the UFC. So. It's a good card. I can't wait for it. By the way, thank you to everybody for listening and appeasing me and let me talk some fighting here for the last segment. Coming up next, we switch gears. We bring on Sparky Pfeiffer. We talk some Bucks basketball and all things Milwaukee sports right here on BetMGM tonight.
seems to be analytically that must be some kind of advantage because teams never did that before in years past. Team in traffic gets the end one. We're back with BetMGM tonight on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. That's the best rapper in the NBA, Dame Dallasine. Thank you to Valley Sports Milwaukee for that. Welcome back into the show. Sports Machine, Sean Levine, Ryan Horvath. Uh, speaking of those Milwaukee Bucks, with a minute 30 left in the third quarter, not good. Not a good situation. In fact, Eminem would say it's an old-fashioned, passionate ass-kicking where they're getting their shoes, coat, and their hat taken. They're down 94-73 to 73 at Jeez. home to the Miami Heat. Uh, with that, let's bring in Sparky Pfeiffer. He talks plenty of bucks out there in Milwaukee. Uh, I've been crushing Doc Rivers for the better part now of three hours on the show. Now that he's been the head coach of the Bucks for a few weeks, your overall thoughts? Uh, it's even been a few weeks, maybe a couple of weeks. Uh, and, you know, look, he took over midseason. Uh, that's difficult for anybody to do, obviously. Then he brings in two coaches with him to add to the coaching staff that was already there under Adrian Griffin. Uh, and he's putting in all new terminology. He's changing the defense. He's changed the offense. He's making a lot of changes. And these guys don't have practices, per se. I think they've had a couple of practices. Everything else, they're elongating shoot-around and having to do installs during shoot-around. Uh, and he mentioned this last week of – my vets are only going to do this for another week or two, and they're going to say enough of this because this is not how this is supposed to be in the NBA. But they're dealing with Doc for the time being. His young guys, he clearly admitted, I think it was yesterday, that he doesn't even know their names. Like Marjan Bochamp, Andre Jackson, he calls them young fella. And the vets all laugh at Doc because he doesn't know their names still. Um, so he's still trying to figure that out. So, I mean, it's going to be a learning process. I'll say this. They look a hell of a lot better now than they did with Adrian Griffin, especially defensively. And I know tonight's not a great example because Miami's shooting damn near 60% from three tonight and hitting everything. Uh, but for the most part, they've looked a lot better defensively. Uh, you've seen Giannis now kind of be more of a roaming uh, type position to allow them to have true, true, bigs, uh, true bigs around the paint for rebounding, for shot blocking. Um, you don't have Brooke chasing after guards out in the wing like he was doing with Adrian Griffin, thank God, uh, anymore. You don't see a lot of that. So there's definitely been changes. They look more like a, a real top-tier type team. Uh, there's still a ways to go. They'll get there. Uh, but they already look better than they did under Adrian Griffin. And under Adrian Griffin, they were a two-seed uh, at that point. But the eye test uh, wasn't matching up with what the record was. Oh, Spark, actually, since I just got back from uh, Las Vegas this week, we haven't had the chance to talk. we got to talk some Packers football because I bet the Packers $100 to win the Super Bowl at 25-1. to 1. I'm feeling good about that. But how are you feeling about Pat Bev, the pickup of Pat Beverly? I could see – I wasn't on Twitter much. I was like, Sparky's either going to love this or he's going to absolutely hate it. I love it because him and Dame had past beef. I, it kind of reminded me of, like, Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman going at it and then having to be teammates. How did you feel about that pickup? Uh, he's a punk. I don't like him. Uh, but having <laughs> said that, but having said that, he's good for this basketball team. I mean, obviously, they they need him. They need that attitude. This is kind of similar to P.J. Tucker when they picked him up uh, for their championship-type run. They need that attitude guy. Uh, and the reason I liked the pickup immediately when I saw it and said it was a good move because he played for Doc with the Clippers, so he knows everything Doc's installing. So that gives Doc somebody that knows how to run his offense and knows where people are supposed to be on defense. His first game, he's got the dry erase board, and he's running down Brooke Lopez in a timeout on the bench trying to show him what he was supposed to be doing. Uh, and Brooke, you know, was kind of like, yeah, 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 because Beverly likes to talk nonstop. Uh, so that may get old quick, but 
he knows what is supposed to be done. Uh, and I like that, you know, offensively, he doesn't provide much. He's already hit a couple threes, you know, since he's been here for the Bucks. But defensively is what you want. Um, and you want the nonsense of, you know, him getting stupid technicals and, and stuff like that to be kept at a minimum, especially in the playoffs. Uh, but I think he definitely adds something that they needed. Uh, now we'll see how far that gets him. Talking with Sparky Pfeiffer at Sparky Radio, if you want to follow him, joining us here on the BetQL Network. So Boston's a favorite right now, no surprise, at BetMGM. They're loaded at plus 260, followed by Denver, the Clippers, and then the Bucks. How big do you think the gap is between Boston and Milwaukee? If they meet in the postseason, would you be confident betting on the Bucks? No. No, I, I wouldn't be confident uh, betting on the Bucks because they have the ultimate choke in Doc Rivers as their head coach. Would you be comfortable betting on the Milwaukee Bucks in the playoffs? Hell no. No. Right. No. Okay, then. Absolutely. So, I mean, uh, uh, again, so what you're, what you're hoping for is uh, is that they can overcome having Doc as their coach. You're hoping that Giannis and Dame can help overcome that. The problem is, if you look at Lillard's numbers, they're among the worst of his career. Shooting from the field, shooting from three. I mean, they're not good at all. Uh, and if this team is going to go try and win a championship, his numbers have to resemble a lot closer to what his yearly averages are uh, and not what he's doing right now uh, in both categories. And if that does not get better and he continues to play like this into the playoffs, they're not going to win a championship. He must shoot the ball better than he's shooting right now. Who is the team in the East then, though, like other than Boston? Or is it just Boston that could beat Milwaukee in a seven-game series? Well, I mean, I don't know if it's only Boston that can beat Milwaukee. I, but uh, again, talking from a Bucks fan perspective, which I am, I would say Boston would be the team that obviously worries me the most at this point. Uh, Maxi got off to a real hot start this year in Philly. I don't know if he's necessarily been that same type of player since then. Uh, and, and they're trying to do different stuff, you know, since the trade deadline, trying to add to that. Cleveland, I'm not there. They're still relatively, you know, a lot of their key pieces are still relatively young. Mitchell's going to do as much as he can in the playoffs for him, but I'm not necessarily sold on them either. Uh, and the rest of these, uh, I mean, you're going to, if you listen to sports talk radio enough, you know, a lot of these guys will try and sell you on the Knicks uh, being that team kind of going forward with Thibodeau and so forth. But the one thing we know about Thibodeau is his teams tend to burn out in the playoffs uh, because he runs the hell out of them uh, throughout the course of the regular season. Maybe that'll be different this year. Maybe things will change. They're definitely a heck of a lot better than they were when Thibodeau took over that organization uh, as head coach. They definitely made big improvements. I liked what they did at the trade deadline. They've done a lot of good things. Uh, but, you know, are their two top players as good as what the Bucks' two top players are? Probably not. And in, in the NBA, normally the best player in the series wins more times than not. Yeah. I don't know if I believe in the Knicks, but I look at their odds and value-wise, I kind of like them. Heck, I'm about to talk myself into a Jalen Brunson 50-1 to MVP bet. Well, Paul, we're talking with uh, Sparky Pfeiffer here on the BetQL Network. I know Ryan wants to talk to you about his Packers future tickets, so we can switch over to football here. I'm in Kansas City, home of the back-to-back Super Bowl champions. When we talk Jordan Love, and I know you're in that bubble out there where you cover the team, I think I might take him over every other NFC quarterback. Am I crazy? Like, I think Dak Prescott I can talk myself out of. Jalen Hurts took a step back. This guy's young, still on a rookie contract, proven when the game matters. Uh, am I overdoing it? I, I think the key to Jordan Love is his play caller, Matt LaFleur. I think that that's the key. The key is, you know, in the first half of the season, Matt LaFleur was super conservative. It was driving everybody, including Horvat nuts. Uh, but part of that reason was because he didn't trust his – 
rookie wide receivers, second-year wide receivers, rookie tight ends, guys that were running the wrong routes, being in the same place as somebody else. Uh, they were struggling on the offensive line with, with their young left tackle, Rasheed Walker, a seventh-round draft pick, having to play for the All-Pro David Bakhtiari, who missed the season after that first game. So there was issues. Once they got to that Steelers game, uh, you could see, and I remember talking about it on Kurt and Long, Horvath's and mine podcast that we do, about, yeah, they lost, but you could start to see things turning around. After that game, LaFleur later admitted he opened up the playbook because he thought that they finally turned the corner, and that's when Jordan Love kind of took off along with this offense. Now you give them a full season, uh, off season to kind of work together. Matt LaFleur now knows everybody's strengths and weaknesses. Tucker Kraft, I'm pretty sure he thought he was just going to be a blocking fullback, and that was it. Uh, and then Musgrave got hurt, and Tucker Kraft went off offensively, and all of a sudden, Matt LaFleur is looking at Tucker Kraft in a whole different way. So now when you build the offense coming into this year, I think this Packers offense could be a top three offense in the National Football League uh, going into 2024. Obviously, you have to keep Aaron Jones. I think they will. Uh, they have to draft uh, an eventual replacement for Aaron Jones. I think they'll do that as well. Uh, and don't know what's going to happen at left tackle, but uh, going forward, I, I really think this offense is going to be really good. And if they're a top three offense, that means they should win, what, 11, 12 games, which means Jordan Love should have every chance to win an MVP. Yeah, and even if the Bears get it right, draft Caleb Williams, I don't think they're going to be ready to win the NFC North. We'll see with Detroit. I mean, I'm not calling for regression yet because they were able to bring back Ben Johnson for Jared Goff, but it, it was funny because in Vegas, I ran into, uh, you know, like Mike Clemens and Grant and some guys that do radio, and there's a lot of Packer fans. I mean, there were a lot of everything, you know, like a lot of all fans, everybody wearing their jerseys, but everybody that came up to me was like, Horvat, you were negative. We'll never forget, you said you can't wait until the season's over. You hate covering this team. You want nothing to do. And now I'm betting on them to win the Super Bowl. I know we're already going to talk about this on the pod now that I'm back this week. But um, how do you feel about the D.C. hire? It's not the guy that we wanted, but you feel pretty good? I I, I, I'm, I mean, I don't know much about this, dude. I, I know they're going to go to a, a 4-3, 4-2-5 defense. So different guys are going to have to play different roles, right? Uh, Rashawn Gary might have to have his hand in the dirt, which he did in college. Preston Smith might have to have his hand in the dirt, which he's done uh, in the past. Lucas Van Ness played with his hand in the dirt at Iowa. He'll probably have to do it now in this new defense. We'll have to see how this whole thing lines up. Uh, but but for me, again, I and people get mad at me when I say this, but Jim Leonard, the former Badger defensive coordinator, was out there and available. The last time he didn't take it was because he thought he was going to replace Paul Chris when Paul Chris was done at Wisconsin and be the next head coach. Uh, again, this is a Wisconsin guy that played for the Badgers, played in the NFL, was a starting safety, so forth, knows the 3-4 defense like they've been playing, makes all the sense in the world. So he doesn't take the job uh, initially the last time when they hired Joe Barry. So this time around, he's just a consultant for the Illini in Illinois, still hanging out in Madison with his family because he didn't want to move. And nothing, no interview, no nothing. You, you're not even interested anymore. Makes absolutely no sense. And then they make that hire. And now where's Leonard going? Denver to be a secondary coach, which means he was more than willing to pick up and move uh, if need be and, and change his life to get back into the National Football League. And apparently because he turned you down once, you were bitter and your ego was hurt. So you didn't want to call him back again. And now we go to get a Boston College guy who, you know, knows LaFleur, very detail oriented. Richard Sherman loved playing for him and so forth. But my question is this, how good of a play caller is he? He wasn't calling the defense at Boston College. So how good of a play caller is this dude? Because it's one thing to say, you know, well, that's kind of my defense and so forth. But if you've never called a defense, it's like never calling an offense. You don't really know how good somebody is until they do it. Yeah. 
Sparky Pfeiffer at Sparky Radio joining us here on BetMGM tonight. Always enjoy hearing from you, brother. Take it easy. You're in, you're in, you're in Kansas City. We didn't talk about Lance Leopold. My guy, my buddy over at Kansas. Come on, man. Love Lance Leopold. Absolutely. That's my guy, I'm, man. I, I, dude, I'm, I'm the leader of the Lance Leopold fan club. Okay, you I should have worn my baby. I should have worn my Kansas shirt for you to show you how much I love Lance Leopold. Yeah, that's my guy, man. We'll do we'll, We'll do that next time. I may or may not All have right. a lie pulled up. Can't pull on my butt cheek. It is a bet. <laughs>